Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Summer Hill Church uh, this Sunday morning. Really great to have you here with us, uh, despite the weather and the temperature and all. Um, it'd be very handy to have your Bibles open to Matthew 18, although we're not going to spend our whole time there together this morning. Normally, when we get together on a Sunday morning, uh, we work through one of the books of the Bible from beginning to end. Uh, the next few weeks, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to take some time to reflect on those parts of our relationships that can cause us most pain uh, and grief and difficulty. Those aspects of our relationships, perhaps, that we mourn and grieve uh, and struggle with. uh, And that's going to mean that we're going to use multiple passages uh, as we work through uh, these particular topics. Uh, And we'll reflect on that a little bit more as we go together this morning. Um, You do have that Q&A question, uh, that little Q&A QR code, so to speak, at the bottom of the sheet. Uh, Please feel free to send through any questions. I um, was quizzing my kids um, just uh, last Friday about what questions they might ask about forgiveness, and I reckon they came up with a good 15 at least. Um, Some contributed more questions than others, uh, but it just shows the point that there's no way I can do a 15-point sermon um, to even answer all their questions. No doubt there are even more than those. Uh, It is a topic that's going to take more than one or two talks to plumb the depths of. Uh, How about I pray, though, as we begin to reflect on this together this morning. Uh, Dearest Father, we do thank and praise you for what it is to be brothers and sisters with one another. We thank you not only for the relationships that we enjoy within your church household, but all those relationships that you've given to us, whether they be in our families, from our past, in our current workplaces. We ask, Father, that you might teach us what it looks like to honour you in those relationships, as well as to honour those that you've placed us alongside. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, despite even our most hopeful and our most idealistic longings, many of us find ourselves haunted by just how vulnerable our relationships can leave us feeling. Uh, Perhaps some of us are haunted by damage that we ourselves have done in the past uh, to the relationships that we've been a part of. Others of us perhaps have been left stunned and numbed by relationships that have been suddenly and dramatically written off with the unexpectedness of a car crash. Never saw it coming. Or perhaps by relationships that have maybe instead unraveled slowly, as if by just the pulling of some loose thread over years and years. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend a little bit of time together wrestling with what the Scriptures have to say about navigating some of the more painful aspects of our relationships with one another. Uh, We're going to make a modest start today. I say modest, even though we're talking about the topic of forgiveness, which seems impossibly big and overwhelming. We're going to consider the place of forgiveness in shaping how we relate to one another this week. But then in the coming weeks, we're going to turn to consider reconciliation and rebuke as well uh, in the ways in which we manage and care for and nurture our relationships with each other. And I just want to give a bit of a warning. I'm going to remind you of this several times over the course of today, that I've decided to distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation. Not only because I think that's how the Scriptures speak, doesn't speak of them as being exactly the same, but because when we conflate them, when we uh, conflate or mix forgiving 
uh, one another and what it means to be reconciled with one another, we can end up with some unhelpful patterns of what we expect from our own actions of forgiveness. But more on that, uh, that distinction in the coming weeks. I just wanted to flag that for you. Now, forgiveness is a concept that Christians are perhaps most likely to reach for when we find ourselves grasping for answers about how our broken and painful relationships might be restored. Of course, that's hardly surprising, is it? Since God's gracious forgiveness of us through Christ's death lies at the very heart of our identity as God's people. I don't know if you noticed this as we sang the the first couple of songs today, both wonderful choices of songs that reflect on God's astounding mercy towards us. Perhaps we've become so familiar with just how ingrained in our own relating to God forgiveness is that we, we sing the words without even wondering at them. Uh, sometimes from week to week. Or think about how we celebrate the Lord's Supper together at, at least every three or four weeks throughout the year. In the Lord's Supper, we declare to one another that we can come only to Him because of His great love for us, which has been displayed in the undeserved forgiveness that is lavished upon us. Forgiveness has a moving and unquestionable beauty to it especially when it's God's gracious mercy towards us in Christ that we have in view. And yet, it doesn't take much, does it, for doubts and anxious objections to begin bubbling to the surface when it's our forgiveness of others that we turn to consider in a little bit more detail. Even Jesus' closest disciples were quick to press him with anxious and qualifying questions about the forgiveness that was expected of them. Uh, Have a look with me at um, Matthew chapter 18. We're not going to go into this whole parable in detail today. Uh, We'll mention it a few times and you're welcome to ask questions about it. But I do just want to draw your attention at at first to how this discussion between Jesus and Peter begins. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked... Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. That is seven times, 70 times. Now, I suspect that Jesus' answer to Peter here probably didn't do a whole lot to quieten any anxieties or uncertainties that Peter had about this topic and how to apply it. Our forgiveness of other people can easily feel frail and sometimes even futile, can't it? You know, maybe the forgiveness that we have offered to others in the past goes unrecognised altogether. The other person doesn't even seem to have registered that we've forgiven them. That's an overwhelming thing to experience, isn't it? Perhaps even worse than that, perhaps our forgiving of another person has been rejected or rebuffed or spurned as if it was unneeded at all. You've offered forgiveness to someone and they've refused to even recognise that such forgiveness was required or needed. A too eager willingness to offer forgiveness can seem fraught to us with the potential of leaving us open to manipulation and mistreatment, giving the one who has wronged us yet another opportunity to wrong us further. I do want to flag that, as I mentioned as we began, that these kind of anxieties about forgiveness often arise when we fail to properly distinguish between forgiveness 
and reconciliation. To make that distinction, we'll need to dig into a little bit about what the difference is between them. Unlike God, who can both forgive us and also turn our hearts back to Him in humble repentance, we're often unable to reconcile damaged relationships with others in precisely the same way. And we'll reflect on this next week. We can't change the hearts of others in the same manner that God Himself can. Little wonder that the practice of forgiveness can feel so fraught and sometimes futile to us. And this means that we need to take care not to claim too much for what we imagine that our forgiveness of others is actually able to achieve. There are wise and godly reasons why careless calls to simply forgive and forget really and rightly strike us as deeply wrong and unjust. Uh, Look with me at this passage up on the screen. That's from Genesis chapter 4, really describing one of the first wrongs committed by a human against another. Cain and Abel, you might remember, uh, Cain kills his brother Abel out of jealousy, out of envy rather, out in the fields. Uh, And when God confronts Cain, uh, this is how it goes down. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. God cares about and is attentive to wrongs that are being committed. Even where no one else witnessed Cain's murderous crime against Abel, we're told that Abel's blood still screams out injustice from the ground into which it's soaked. When a wrong has been committed, the cry of injustice won't be easily silenced. It's not going to fade away quietly. Indeed, sometimes the cry of injustice actually intensifies with the passing of time. When we've been wronged, our instinctive response is to answer, to satisfy this cry for justice with vengeance. Uh, Now, vengeance isn't a wholly wrong thing. Just as Abel's blood crying out for justice was a right and good thing to which God paid attention. Vengeance rightly demands that the wrongdoer suffer some cost proportional to the injustice that they had committed against another. The sad truth, of course, is that human longings for vengeance often run away with themselves, don't they? They have a tendency to spiral our relationships closer and closer towards mutually assured destruction. Uh, If you were watching the news in the 1980s, aware of what was going on during the Cold War, you might be aware of this term, mutually assured destruction, the idea that warring nations might have missiles pointed at one another, ready that if one sends off missiles to attack the other, the other would send off the same number of missiles in the opposite direction. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth kind of thing, really. But what results from that? Well, it's mutually assured destruction. Everyone ends up being destroyed, even though it might have a form of justice on the surface of things. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, might answer our cry for justice to be done, but only, it seems, at the very cost of the relationship itself, whose preciousness and value we claim to be protecting 
or grieving the loss of. Something other than vengeance is going to be needed if we're to navigate a safe path out of the crumbling ruins of our relationships. And forgiveness is where the Scriptures call us to begin. It's not the last word they have to say on restoring relationships, but it's one of the first. Uh, Look at these, or listen to these words from Colossians chapter 3. There the Apostle Paul writes to the church, saying, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. A patient, forbearing forgiveness is spoken of here as the first step to pursuing loving unity with one another in the face of real and painful grievances that we actually might have against one another. We're called to follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus who first forgave us in this very same manner. God isn't asking something of us that he hasn't even more abundantly shown towards us already. But what exactly does this forgiveness that we're called to consist in? What does and doesn't forgiveness actually ask and demand of us to show to others? Now, the Lord's Prayer, I think, can actually help us here, particularly the way older English translations were framed, where we are to pray to God the Father, asking, we've got it up there on the screen, I think, you might remember this from older framings of the Lord's Prayer, we're called to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven those with debts against us. And really, this takes us to the heart of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is to cancel the debt that others rightly owe to us, where others have perhaps wrongfully withheld from us the truth or kindness or honour or the respect that they owe us, we are to forgive rather than to make payment by force. We can see how we sometimes take payment by force in the patterns of public shaming that are increasingly becoming popular on social media, can't we? You know, if if we feel that there is another person or a company, someone who has denied us honour, how is it that we normally go about demanding, forcing payment from them when they won't give us that honour willingly? We publicly shame them. We take their honour by force, by what we say about them, what we post about them publicly. That's what we're speaking about here. To forgive is to choose not to demand that payment that they owe us by force. Uh, Matthew 18, the parable that we read, Jesus uses that very same metaphor of a debt to explain and to describe what forgiveness looks like, doesn't it? The the king in that, that parable had a subject, God has subjects like us, we owe him a debt that we simply can't pay, even if we were given more time to do so. God doesn't force that payment from us. He mercifully cancels the debt that we might not be crushed by it. When we forgive, we're choosing to forgo our right to force payment from another to make another suffer proportionally for how they've hurt, wronged, or denied us. Now, it's important to note 
that by itself, our forgiveness doesn't completely reset, nor does it automatically restore a damaged relationship, perhaps to everything that it previously once was. That's what reconciliation is that we're going to give more attention to next week. I wonder if you've ever had that experience where you were sure, you were convinced that you had forgiven someone who had wronged you. Perhaps you'd gone through a really difficult time, you'd struggled with it, and you were confident that you had offered that person forgiveness in your own hearts. But then the relationship to you continues to feel just as painfully broken as it did previously. And you found yourself wondering, does that mean that I've not genuinely forgiven the other person? The fact that I'm still experiencing pain, does that mean that I actually haven't forgiven them from my heart? If I find myself unable to maybe trust someone as completely and openly as I did once before, does that mean that I've not completely forgiven them? Perhaps you've really wrestled to forgive someone who has wronged you, only for them to later on complain that you're still withholding from them some aspect of relational intimacy that they feel your forgiveness should automatically reinstate to them. And you've wondered, oh, does that mean I actually haven't forgiven them? But friends, that's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness by itself, in and of itself alone, doesn't completely restore relationships to what they once were before. In forgiving, we cancel any claim of vengeance that we might have over another person. But by itself, forgiveness is not a magic wand that instantaneously resets or restores our relationships, erasing all the pain and grief from past wrongs, as if it was a healing charm in a Harry Potter novel. And it might be worth pausing for just a minute to reflect on this, to explicitly reflect on what our forgiveness is not about, on what forgiveness won't achieve in and of itself. I think it's right to say that forgiveness is always there to open up a horizon where reconciliation might be yet possible, but it doesn't always achieve it outright, automatically. Uh, Firstly, and I've got these points there on your sheets under point four. Firstly, to forgive is not simply to forget, shake off or sweep under the carpet another's wrongdoing against us. To forgive is not simply to pretend or make believe as if no wrong had ever occurred. Nor does forgiveness always require abandoning all hope of justice ever being done. Uh, Have listened to me with these words from uh, Romans chapter 12. Uh, A couple of verses there that I'm reading from. I think we've got that there on the screen. A couple of verses in the same chapter where Paul writes, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's the, the concept of forgiveness that Paul is writing about there. But then he continues on in the same section to say, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his, for God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. To risk forgiving those who wrong us doesn't mean that we automatically abandon all hope of justice ever being done. Rather, we leave room for God himself to ensure that perfect justice is ultimately carried out, if that is what proves to be ultimately needed. 
In our dealings with others, sometimes we simply can't identify what form or what shape true justice really should look like. In those kind of situations where it's clouded and uncertain and uncomfortable, we can forgive knowing that if we get it wrong, God himself isn't going to overlook any injustice or wrong. He will make all things just and right. One of the reasons forgiveness feels like such a gamble is that we forget God is attentive to the injustices that we suffer. Indeed, He cares about the injustice we suffer even more than we do. We just don't believe that's the case. If God is holy and perfectly just and righteous, how could He not care more about injustice than we ourselves do? We can forgive, not fearful, that some wrong will ultimately triumph. God's character won't allow that to happen. Secondly, when we offer forgiveness to those who have wronged us, it's not as if we're excusing away the wrong that the other person might have committed. We're not saying, ah, don't worry about it. That's often what we do, isn't it? When someone brings up uh, an uncomfortable sense that maybe they've wronged us, we often very quickly just say, ah, don't, don't worry about it. It doesn't matter. It's not actually a thing. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes that people are anxious and sorry for things that actually aren't a wrong. But sometimes we just say, don't worry about it, because we're uncomfortable about dealing with the wrong that exists perhaps between us. But in fact, even as we say the words to another person, I forgive you, we're actually naming the wrong and the unjust treatment for what it really is. When we say the words, I forgive you for this or for that or for the other thing, We're not sweeping the wrong under the carpet. We're not saying, don't worry, forget about it. We're openly naming exactly how the other person has wronged us, even as we assure them that we won't demand payment, forced payment for their mistreatment of us. Thirdly, it's not uncommon for us to also speak about forgiving others as if it was a kind, a form of self-care a way of releasing ourselves from pent-up feelings of bitterness and a spiralling attitude of resentment to others. We forgive because it makes us feel more at ease, more at peace. A letting go of the past that allows us to leave our griefs behind, that allows us to clear our own troubled consciences, that allows us to make a break with painful memories perhaps and move on with our own lives in our own way. But whatever else this strategy might be, It's not really what forgiveness essentially is about. While it might be very true that forgiveness sometimes does bring us relief, such relief is by no means guaranteed and it's not what the purpose of forgiveness is. As with God's gracious forgiving of our wrongdoing in Christ we too offer forgiveness primarily for the other person's good, not just to set our own minds at rest. And then finally, nor is forgiveness, as I've mentioned a few times now, just another word for reconciliation. Refusing to seek vengeance, refusing and choosing not to make someone else pay for the wrongs that they've committed against us, does not mean that the relationship itself has been restored to everything that it formerly was. 
Forgiveness might certainly help open a doorway to reconciliation between ourselves and the person who has wronged us. Uh, We might perhaps create space by forgiving. We might create space in which they are more likely to confess their own wrongdoing against us. By forgiving them, we might open space in which they're more likely to recognise their need to repent. Because repentance often comes after forgiveness. We offer forgiveness. We might create space by forgiving them that sparks them to consider exactly where they might need to make restitution or to re-establish trust between ourselves and them. We can forgive even before we know exactly what kind of reconciliation might be possible or appropriate to achieve down the track. However, simply forgiving, simply foregoing our rightful demand for vengeance will rarely be enough to fully restore whatever intimacy and trust has begun to unravel between two people. Sometimes such full reconciliation will simply be beyond what we're able to achieve in this lifetime alone. And for some of us this morning who aren't so much grappling with what it means for us to forgive others, but maybe we're grappling with what it means for us to be forgiven by someone whom we long to be restored to, that might be an adjustment that we need to make in our expectations of other people's forgiveness of us. To hear the words, you're forgiven, means that we can be confident, we can rest in the knowledge that our wrong won't be held against us, we won't be made to pay for it. But it doesn't mean that we can carry on as if the other person never suffered, nor never paid the cost themselves for our treatment of them. The painful truth is that even our own best attempts at forgiveness will routinely fall short of achieving for our relationships the kind of peace that we so desperately long for them. Perhaps that's your pain, not the pain of struggling to forgive another person, but that even another person's forgiveness of you hasn't restored relationship as you desperately longed that it would. Friends, only one person's forgiveness truly has the capacity to set our own hearts at rest. Have a look at these words from 1 John chapter 1. They're words that we often read together, we often remind each other of when we've prayed a prayer of confession, we'll often read these words following after it. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 we read, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. They are stunning words. I wonder if you can perceive in those words what is so wonderfully unique about the kind of forgiveness that God offers us through Jesus. Where our own forgiveness at best cancels the demand that others pay for how they've wronged us, God's forgiveness also purifies us from the shame and guilt of our own unrighteousness, of our own having wronged God and wronged one another. And that's a comfort comfort both for those of us who are seeking for forgiveness and for those who long to give it but don't have their offer of forgiveness received. When we offer forgiveness, we might be longing for that person to be changed, 
by our mercy towards him. And yet it's so painful when it just gets thrown back in our face. We can long to have our relationship that we've maybe wronged restored completely when we seek forgiveness from another person and sometimes it just doesn't happen. Our forgiveness sometimes falls short of what ideally we wish it would bring about and achieve. Not so God's forgiveness. Where our forgiveness falls short, especially then, we're reminded that it is ultimately to God's forgiveness that we need to flee and seek comfort and restoration. God's forgiveness not only removes the threat of vengeance, but it begins the work of changing the very kind of people that we ourselves are. In his forgiveness, we can find a rest and a peace that we can't find in anyone else's forgiveness in the same way. Let's pray that it would be to God's forgiveness that we flee firstly and being comforted and assured by what he has to offer us, seek to show that same forgiveness and seek it from one another as well. Let's pray. Dearest Father, sometimes so quickly, so easily, a longing for justice, for what is right and good, springs up within our heart, overwhelms us, colours every aspect of how we treat and relate to one another. And yet, Father, we confess that in our wronging of one another, what is right and good and just often isn't easy to achieve in our dealings with one another. That longing for what is right and just can sometimes so often spill over into an eye for an eye, a a spiralling longing for vengeance that can never be satisfied or achieved, not perfectly, not completely, not righteously. Father, we thank you that where we could not pay back the debt we owe to you, you graciously extended forgiveness even before we turned our own hearts back to you. And Father, we ask that you might enable us, you might strengthen us, confident that you're a God who loves justice, that you might strengthen us to offer that same forgiveness, that cancellation of debt to one another as well. And yet, Father, we do ask that it would not simply be in cancelling debt that we would be at rest, but we might seek to move that forgiveness on to reconciliation where it's possible as well. And Father, we do pray that this coming week, as we uh, prepare to reflect more on reconciliation next Sunday, that you would prepare us to hear, to be comforted, to be guided by the words that you have to say on what it looks like for for vengeance not only to be put to a stop in forgiveness, but to carry beyond that even to the restoration of our relationships with one another as well. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, Friends, please do uh, flick through any questions uh, about forgiveness that you might have. Uh, We'll see if we can address those later on, uh, if they do come through. Uh, We're going to stand and sing.